Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Decatur City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Decatur City Church app where you can find access to all of our recent message content. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope you enjoy the following presentation and I hope it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, thank you guys so much for being here today. You can go ahead and have a seat, grab a blanket, grab a chair, a bleacher. How cool is this, y'all? This is, man. This is fun. It is incredible, incredible to see all of your faces. I can barely see all of your faces because the sun is right here, but it is, it's just remarkable to see all of you in person celebrating Easter It's been two years since we celebrated Easter together in person, which is just really hard to imagine. And what a year it's been, right? It has been one heck of a year. And I don't know about you, but as I stand and sit in this place today, like as I sing with you, as just everything that I'm experiencing, this something just kind of keeps popping out in my mind. And it's this idea that I don't know that I have ever needed Easter as much as I do right now. And when I say I don't know that I've ever needed Easter as as much as I do right now, I'm not talking about the the weather, though it's great. I'm not talking about the holiday. I'm not talking about spring break that so many of us are going to enjoy this next week. I'm not even really talking about this, as as incredible as this is, this in-person gathering for the first time in so long. When I say that I need Easter this year. What I mean is I am more aware than ever that I need to personally experience the regenerative power of the resurrection of Jesus. And I know that's like a big churchy phrase, like that's a lot for early in the morning on a football field trying to wrestle your kids and and get here and get dressed up and look great, which you do look great by the way. But can anybody else relate to that thought that you just need to experience the regenerative, renewing, restoring power of the resurrection? Anybody else feel that after the year that we've had, just to know that that's real? I don't know about you, but I know for me, this thought seemed to become just very real to me, probably back this winter, one day on one of those typical cold, dreary Atlanta winter days, you know, where it's like, is it raining? Is it not raining? What time is it? Like the clouds are so low, you can't even tell if it's like morning, noon or night. Like it just never seems to allow the light to break in. And then to to top it all off, like we're just dealing with the constant pull of like social and political and cultural just conflict that never seems to stop right now. And for me, the way I experienced it is I found myself for the first time on this particular day just kind of processing work a little more sluggishly than normal. I found myself a little more impatient with my kids than normal. I found myself just kind of tired. You know, just like mentally, physically, spiritually, I just felt exhausted. And it was just, it was like it just kind of sucked the life out of me. I remember literally like physically saying out loud, like, 
hey, dude, you got to get up off the mat. Like, you got to get going. Like, this is a lot. And, and, it, and it felt a lot to me personally because for me, I view myself as your pastor. I know you may not necessarily think of me that way, but that's how I think of me. And I, I feel like I'm supposed to, you know, have the answers and bring the hope and the joy. And I'm the one whose Instagram account is supposed to be filled with just good news for, you know, great days and for great people. And I just didn't have the energy to do it. I just found myself exhausted. But you know what, there, this other thought kind of crept in and I think it's that this exhaustion that so many of us are kind of limping into Easter with this year actually brings us closer to the people who experienced the resurrection firsthand. I mean, as difficult as life has been, as disrupted and as disappointing as it's been the last year, I mean, this was a common occurrence for them. Their life was always difficult. It was always hard. They looked out at this world that felt like, filled void of hope. It certainly uh, uh, felt void of any good news or love or generosity or kindness or, or life. In fact, for them, it was probably way worse than it has been for so many of us because it was just constant, right? I mean, at least we have modern conveniences. Like as bad as it got, it, I could go inside and enjoy TV or I could enjoy the air conditioning or we have modern medicine and <clears throat> we have science and we have laws and things like that. But they didn't have that. They just had chaos all the time and their life was constantly cut short by just the brutal realities of the difficulties that they faced. And it was into that world that Jesus entered. And I think none of us could even get our minds around how difficult life was over 2000 years ago. To kind of get it in your mind, I'm thinking uh, dark, I'm thinking desolate, I'm thinking brown, I'm thinking extremely gloomy atmosphere. I think I'm describing Mordor from Lord of the Rings. Like that's what it probably looked like for them. Just this cloud of death constantly hanging over their life. You remember those early days of the pandemic? You know, those, those days when we were still hoarding toilet paper and so many of us were hoarding flour because we were gonna bake all the things. I mean, we're, we all now have pantries full of flour and we have no idea what we're gonna do with it. Or we were buying um, hand sanitizer off the, the, you know, the black market on the deep interwebs and things like that. And we were doing things that we never could have imagined. And what we experienced was that this disruption or this difficulty brought out what was deep down inside of all of us. It brought out that kind of self-centered, self-preservation that exists in every single one of us where we just kind of became almost our, like our primal versions of ourselves looking out for ourselves. Well, that's, that's what life was like over 2000 years ago. You've heard me say it before. I mean, might made right and Rome was powerful, and those who were in charge did everything they could to keep other people under their thumb. And, and if you were powerful, then you were good. And if you were weak, then you were bad. And then in stepped Jesus, and he like flipped it all upside down. Jesus said like the first or the last will be first. And he, he had this amazing way of telling people that life was better than what they were experiencing, that everybody, no matter who they were, were regardless of race, creed, gender, nationality, religion, political persuasion, no matter who they were, that they could experience this abundant life. And because he did, he faced hatred from both the religious elite and from the Roman elite. 
And it was like everywhere he went, he made people mad and he confused people and he frustrated people. And ultimately, we know it, it cost him his life. But one of the great examples of some of this confounding teaching that we hear from Jesus happened one day on the side of a mountain. It's called the Sermon on the Mount because it happened on the side of a mountain. I mean, and it was, it was one of his most famous messages. So many of you have probably heard parts of it, may not even know that that's where it came from. And he looked out at this confused, bewildered group of people and he told them some strange things. He said, hey, I want you to radically forgive people who have radically wronged you. I want you to radically forgive. Like, I want you to forgive to the point that it costs you. He's like, hey, I want you to take the little that you have and I want you to share it with others. I want you to put others before yourself. On top of that, I want you to stop worrying so much. Stop worrying about the things you see around you, the disruptions that you're experiencing, the distractions, the disappointments. Like, don't worry about that kind of stuff. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about money. Don't worry where all that stuff is gonna come from. He said, in fact, I want you to, I want you to do something for me. I want you to consider the lilies. Like, look at these lilies around us. They're gorgeous. They're arrayed in splendor, they're beautiful, they're magnificent, and they did nothing to earn their beauty. God, your Father in heaven, gave it to them. Or think about the animals, he would say. Like they don't worry and toil for where their food is going to come from, it just happens because God is in charge and that's the way I want you to live. I want you to live in such a way that others are more important to you and you don't have to worry about getting ahead and you don't have to worry about being first and you don't have to worry about being the most important because life isn't this zero sum game. Life is about something totally different. And you know, for them, that just sounded insane. In fact, probably for you, it, it sounds kind of insane. I mean, so many of us, our lives have been completely disrupted, right? I mean, things have been ruined, things have been destroyed, things will never be the same as they once were. And it feels like it can be so disappointing and so crushing and we think this is unreasonable. Like if I put others first, what's gonna happen to me? I mean, if I put others ahead of me, what about me? Like my family may get behind. My family may suffer, my family may ultimately die. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not the way I want you to live. That's not the kind of people I want you to be. I want you to live with an eye towards what he called the kingdom of God. I want you to have a different set of values. I don't want you to worry about all of those things. I don't want you to live like that. I want you to be different than that. And think about it. I mean, basically what Jesus was saying to them that day was that like, hey, if you'll follow me, if you'll live the way I'm telling you to live, if you'll prioritize your life the way I'm telling you to prioritize your life, then I'm going to renew you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to give you an abundant life that is better than you could ever imagine. I'm gonna take this dry, dreary, drab, desolate wasteland I'm gonna bring it back to life. I'm gonna make it green again. And that's an amazing thought and we love those thoughts. But here's the thing, like if it's just an idea and he can't actually do it, then Jesus is nothing more than like an idealist, right? 
I mean, because it's great teaching and it sounds inspiring. And on a beautiful day like this, it's easy to kind of get wrapped up in the idea that maybe, just maybe, that could happen. Maybe new life could come out of the darkness that we've experienced. I imagine those people 2,000 years ago on the mountain felt the same way. But if he can't actually do it, what's the use? And if you know the story, you know that he didn't stop saying this. He kept teaching it and he kept teaching it and he kept teaching it. And ultimately, the religious elite... And the Roman elite, they got together and they said, we got to get rid of this guy. And they hung him on a cross and they buried him. And that was the end of the story, right? Only problem is for the last two millennia, communities like this one, faith communities like this one that we love so much keep popping up. They keep appearing and things keep happening and this message keeps getting talked about because it wasn't the end of the story. You see, over 2,000 years ago, something miraculous happened in the Middle East that is so hard to describe that all I know to do is to take you back to the original text, to take you back to what an author named Matthew wrote as he watched with his own eyes, as he heard with his own ears everything that happened on those days leading up to something that changed everything. Matthew tells the story with such detail that it's painful. It's gory, it's bloody, it's gross, it's disturbing, but he tells the details so clearly and so slowly. He tells of the night that a fake trial was created, that the religious and political elite came together and they made a sham of a trial to convict Jesus and they brought him before a false court and they tried him and they convicted him and they did it all so quick. And as soon as he was found guilty, they began to beat him and they began to break him and they began to mock him and they began to spit on him and they began to laugh at him and they called him the king of the Jews and they thrust this painful crown of thorns down upon his head. And they took a purple cloak and they draped it over his bloody, battered, beaten back. And then they handed him his own torture device and they made him carry it up a hill to where they would take his life. And as he hung on the cross, they continued to mock him. They continued to make fun of him. And the details are so abundant and they're so painful. And I think Matthew is trying to make one thing abundantly clear to us that on that night and on that cross, Jesus absorbed all of it. Jesus took on the worst of all of us. Jesus took on the worst that humanity could dish out. He took on all of our sin, all of our anger, all of our hatred, all of our rage, all of our disappointments, all of our frustrations, and he absorbed it all into his broken body. And as he hung on that tree, he felt fully the weight of our anguish and our depression and our loneliness as he cried out, my God, my God, why? Why have you left me here? And then he gave up his life. And what's so amazing about the story is that as everybody was watching the story, they had it all wrong. They felt like this was a story about the might of Rome, 
about the power of humanity. Here on full display, Rome just extinguished somebody who was so naive to believe that the meek could be first and that the lowly could be first and that the last could be first. And there was on full display that that's not how life works. You have to be powerful to be in charge. You have to be right to be in charge. But here's the amazing thing. That's not the story. That's not what was actually happening. The power of Rome wasn't on display that day. The power of your heavenly father was on display that day. And might was not in charge. Love was in charge. And love of a father for you and for me was on full display as one who had all authority, all power, willingly gave up his life for us. And a crowd of people like us watched as they took him off the cross and they laid him in the ground and they rolled the stone in front of the tomb <clears throat> and they thought they had won. And then the story speeds up because it's so miraculous, it's crazy. I don't even know how to tell you without resorting to like magical or mystical religious language, but like it just speeds up and it's hard to tell what's actually happening. But Jesus gets up out of the grave He's transformed in some amazing way. He comes back to life and authors described him as looking like lightning. Others described him as looking like snow. It's unbelievable. It's a miracle that people can't explain. And then all of a sudden we start seeing these snapshots of things that are speeding up so fast. He has breakfast on a beach with a group of people eating fish over an open fire, hanging out with his friends. And then we hear of another story where he's on the side of a mountain on a beautiful spring morning, having breakfast and hanging out with people. He appeared first to two women, two of his best friends in life, but two people who had no status in that life, two people who could not even testify to the fact that they had seen their savior alive. And I think these little vignettes give us a, a snapshot of who Jesus is that here he is, he's turning over the systems of the world. He's turning over the power struggles. He's turning over everything and he's saying, here's the way I want you to live. I want you to live like I have lived. I want you to live like I have died. And the stories are, are sparse and they're fast and the details are all over the place, but one thing sticks out in all of the stories. Every person who encountered the resurrected Jesus was just struck by this charge, this invitation that he had left for them, this invitation that he had given to them. You see, Jesus, with everybody he met with, invited them, and he invites us to join him in the redemptive, regenerative, restorative work of the resurrection. And he invited every single person to take part in this new kingdom that he was ushering in to say, hey, you now get to be a part of renewing what is dead. You now get to be a part of bringing back to life what had once lost its life. You now get to share this good news with everybody. And that, that's the miracle of Easter. That's what I need to experience and be reminded of. And that's what I have a feeling so many of you need to be reminded of as well. The death does not win. 
that disappointment does not win, that disruption does not win, that everything that we have experienced does not win because Jesus is still renewing and restoring and bringing back to life. After <clears throat> the winter had slowly began to fade and a couple of weeks ago, it was like fake spring in Atlanta, and I walked out on my porch and right there to the right at the bottom of our stairs, we have this beautiful planting of, um, it's, it's, it's echinacea, it's purple cone flowers. And the, the, the beautiful purple blooms haven't shown up yet, but here came the green that indicated that the blooms were not far behind. And then to the left of the stairs, we have this, this planting, mass planting of daisies. And sure enough, no blooms yet, but there, there was the green. It was just like it just happened overnight in the middle of the night. There was the green. And my wife has planted daylilies all over our different flower beds. And this is my favorite time for daylilies because the, the flowers aren't there yet, but the green is there. And it's so new and it's so perfect and it's so full of life. And sure enough, like overnight, there they were. And then we have these Lenten roses that are just the most beautiful things I've ever seen. They're, they're, they've got these white blooms that are like literally hand-painted with purple. And there they were on full display. And our Edgeworthia was blooming and it was, it felt, you could just smell it in the air. And it was all of a sudden it hit me. It's happening. Life is coming back. The process is beginning. Hope is right around the corner. Things are still as they should be and as they could be. Because for me, it almost looked like in our yard, like winter had been too long. Like maybe it had been too hard. Maybe it was too cold this year, too wet, not wet enough. Like it just, it felt like nothing was gonna come back to life. But yet, there they were. They were coming back to life. And that's the miracle of Easter. That's what we celebrate today. It's not just a holiday. It doesn't just mark the beginning or the end of spring break. It's not just a reason to get dressed up. Easter is celebrating the miracle that our Savior died for us on a cross. He hung there for us. He absorbed the worst that we could dole out, the worst that humanity had to offer. He took it all in. He died for us. He was placed in the ground. And then he came back to life, not just for him, but he came back to life so that all of us could experience a new life. And that is the message I hope you walk away with today. That is the hope and the promise of Easter, that death doesn't win, disappointment doesn't win, the death of a dream, the loss of a loved one, the death of a job, that doesn't have the final say. Disruption doesn't get to rule the day. Because over 2,000 years ago, your Savior and my Savior gave up his life for you and for me. And he's invited us to be a part of making that regenerative, restoring, renewing process possible all over this world. So before we go, we're gonna pray in just a second. And then we're gonna sing a couple more songs. And I hope you will stand and you'll sing at the top of your lungs as we celebrate together. But before we get there, I want to ask you just a couple of questions. And I want you to think about this for a second. Where in your life has the last year of disruption and disappointment and fatigue, where has it crept in and caused you to start living and thinking in the reality of a pre-resurrection life? Like, where are you 
in your friendships, in your relationships, in your work, in your family, in your attitudes, in your mind, where are you living defeated? And then second question, what would it look like if you changed sides? What would it look like if you moved from this pre-resurrection, defeated, destroyed, disappointed reality and you changed sides to the understanding that Jesus is alive today and he's restoring and he's renewing and he's in the business of taking what is broken and making it whole and new again. How would that change your attitude, your friendships, your relationships? And then the last question I would leave you with is just this. Who needs to know that good news? Maybe on the way home today, who do you need to pick up the phone and call and just say, hey, I wanna let you know something, there's hope. I wanna let you know something, better days are right around the corner. I wanna let you know something, that disappointment you're feeling, that disruption you're experiencing, it doesn't have to win. There are better days ahead because that is possible. That is the message of Easter. Think about this, guys. The one who laid down his life for us wants to give us a new and a better life. He literally, literally takes a grave and he turns it into a garden. Let's pray together. Father, you are amazing. God, what you have done for us, the love that you have shown us, the grace where we don't deserve it, the strength to move forward when we don't have it, the courage to face our biggest fears and disappointments when we didn't even know we had the courage. God, the energy when the fatigue is too real, the loving embrace when the disappointment feels suffocating. You give it all to us in the person of Jesus. And so today we celebrate. We celebrate that new life is possible, that hope is around the corner, that literally you take things that are dead and you bring them back to life. You take the graves of our lives and you turn them into gardens. That's what we sing and that's what we celebrate. And we love you for it in Jesus' name, amen.